Hey, it's Ollie here, just checking in to let you know that this week's episode is going to be coming out late. Uh, we're playing The Last of Us 2, and we're still playing it because it's really long. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be out later this week. I'm guessing Thursday, Friday, maybe. Uh, and so in the meantime, we thought we'd do what we have done a couple times throughout the series history here and make one of our private patreon only episodes of the show public uh if you don't know we do a show called zero brightness plus where every week we talk about you know another topic related to the main episode or something like that we put it up on our patreon which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness and you can listen to it basically in the host of your choice you just get uh, a private link to that this episode is one that we did in conjunction with the last of us uh we're talking about mono genre games uh so it's kind of a fun topic just sort of going through what we think the characteristics and qualities of big mainstream action adventure games are if you're not a patron yet and you like what you hear you can head over and sign up it's basically just open you choose how much you want to pay in every month uh as little as a dollar and as much as you want uh and then you get these uh bonus episodes every week and we're currently on a quest to get to 100 patrons because when we do we're going to play dead space which will be very fun for everybody but james so please help with that Okay, I have to go. My cat is coughing up a hairball. Can you hear that? That's insane. Alright, Zero Brightness Plus for The Last of Us episode mm-hmm. uh topic is what is the mono genre <laughs> okay so we use this term a lot in reference to like big triple a action adventure games and i was pretty sure that i didn't coin it and i didn't technically but i may have coined it in reference to video games Maybe. oh okay i think you did because i couldn't find any reference to it what i did find is references to it in music Mm. So I may have heard it in the context of music and applied it to video games. Was that Um, like pop country where you just can't tell anymore? Yeah, it was actually so. (laughs) Okay, so to me, uh, the mono genre or the idea of a mono genre is really taken from like biodiversity, uh, which like there's an idea in the study of biodiversity called monocropping. Which is Mm -hmm. basically if you just grow one strain of one thing on a farm, you don't rotate your crops. Uh, you can grow more, but you're also more vulnerable to parasites and diseases. Yeah. Uh, this was a big concern when like genetic modifications started entering into food farming because people were like, they're going to make a GMO tomato that's the only tomato grown in the world, and then that tomato is going to get wiped out and we won't have tomatoes, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I thought in terms of mono genre, <laughs> and I think that is kind of true in terms of like what's happening right now. But... I also found a stereo gum article from like when Lord first became popular. Remember Lord, the world's oldest sixteen-year-old? Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't that Randy from South Park? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like there was an article back then that was like, 
is all pop music just kind of becoming this like blend of genres? And the answer mm-hmm. is yes. Cause now yeah. like even Taylor Swift and like even the most like hillbilly ass country pop music has like trap beats and like hi-hats and shit. I was right? going to say like trap beats and triplets, you know? Yeah. In a and song that, like, like hi-hat rush from like the NPC 2000. Yeah. In a song about like a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. So it's like that already happened, but in video games, it kind of, also happened Mm. (laughs) and so now we have these triple a action adventure games that we've just started calling mono genre games well it's like um at this point the um the subject matter determines the genre and not the gameplay yes yeah so they're all the same genre but then they have like a different gimmick or sometimes just like a reskin just a reskin Mm. no no Mm. gimmick right uh okay so what are these games um to me, these are games that mix action RPG, third-person adventure game, platforming, and stealth. All and in, just straight-up action, too. And straight-up action into a big, like, open-world stew. Yeah. So these games, you know, they have some big-picture similarities and some smaller similarities that we'll go through, but ultimately that's kind of what they are they're a game that puts you in an open or open-ish world and lets you run around and try all these different gameplay ideas now is uh, is the mono genre first or third person exclusive i think these is are third important? person games i think that is important mm. um because i think that first person there are first person games that have these traits and ideas totally. that we're going to talk about but they also have a distinctly different feel because those games end up usually being tied more to the first person shooter genre mm, okay right like there's more of an emphasis on weapons and shooting and fast gameplay and all the stuff that we associate with like doom right okay um so that's how i define it and we'll walk through some of the history of it and stuff to explain this um, I thought about this way too much as a <laughs> warning beforehand, but like um, this, I started thinking about this a lot because a few years ago, it started to seem like every new big AAA game that came out was one of these games and it sure. had like these distinct traits, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's even, you know, started to feel even crazier because then Nintendo started making these with breath of the wild. <laughs> and I'll talk more about breath of the wild later. Cause I think mm. breath of the wild is like incredible because it bucks a lot of the trends like from this genre mm. while being squarely inside this genre. I also think the evil within two does as well. Um, but it's just like crazy. Cause that was when it really felt like, okay, these are literally everywhere. Like if Nintendo's Ooh. making them like, yeah, even That's Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yes, exactly. Which, you know, Final Fantasy VII, while it was groundbreaking and whatnot, it was still very much a traditional RPG. Yeah, exactly. And to have the remake put more precedence on this type of gameplay than, like, traditional RPG gameplay is a pretty big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that just speaks to how ubiquitous this genre is right now it feels like these are the new default game uh well not even new anymore but they're the current default game uh we are at the point where they're experiencing diminishing returns like uh ubisoft Mm -hmm. who kind of uh 
they kind of served as the catalyst for this by starting the Assassin's Creed series. Um, mm-hmm. Now they can't seem to put out one of these without just getting dunked on in reviews and having like mediocre sales. Somebody's buying them though. Somebody that the the last one, the uh, Odyssey, I think it sold like crazy. Yeah, well, exactly. And but between Odyssey and now, they've had a few high profile failures, and even the new mm-hmm. the announcement of the new one was not the hype generating monster that they expected it to be. Now Ubisoft is sort of like the daddy of this with Assassin's Creed, and even though it's first person, Far Cry has like a lot of the mono genre things. Oh yeah, they're sort of like the, known as the, like the modern daddy of this, but they're not really the originators. No, all. not at all. Um, yeah, so I guess before we talk about some of the I shared ideas in this genre, we can talk about uh, where this where these games came from. <laughs> um, it, and it really is largely tied to two companies, and that's why it's so relevant to the episode we just did, um, Naughty Dog and Insomniac, uh, mm. really are the companies that I feel created this genre of game. Um, okay. Um, so on the one hand, you have Naughty Dog, right? Naughty Dog uh, created Crash Bandicoot, a pretty straight-ahead 3D platformer on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Then on the PS2, they started the Jack and Daxter series. Yeah, uh, Jack and Daxter started as kind of just like a facelift on Crash Bandicoot. Uh, they didn't have the license to that series anymore, and they weren't going to keep making them, so they started a new series. Uh, with the second game and into the third game, however, they added this open-world component and added a bunch of RPG elements to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was even like vehicle driving in the third one, right? Like, in the it was second almost one, like a mini GTA. Yeah, the second one, like, was like Jack and Daxter, Grand Theft Auto. You know, yeah. It's so it was a really big leap forward. You know, and they had the tech to do it on the PS2, and they were trying out all these different ideas. Um, it was a big step forward. It wasn't like you know hugely beloved like not as much as crash bandicoot but it was like very important and kind of groundbreaking mm-hmm. in its own way uh however with the ps3 their their big like flagship series was uncharted yeah. uh so they started making these uncharted games that more or less pushed this even further you know into the realm of it being like a realistic very cinematic um, sort of like a modern-day Indiana Jones action RPG open-world game. Now, Tomb Raider are, is older than all of these examples, but it didn't really feel mono-genre until the reboots. And yes. then it just like really just like locked into groove. Well, and that's a great example because that reboot was heavily influenced by Uncharted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of these games, when you're seeing them like redefine themselves or be rebooted you're going to see an influence from uncharted mm-hmm. um, and also you know obviously night dog made the last of us which we talked about and the last of us is definitely one of these games but it's also so much more linear uh and it has like the horror element so it feels like sort of stands a little bit apart from the rest sure. of these but you know it's still definitely one of these games mm-hmm. so it, it it kind of evolved from 3d platformers is is Mario 64 the original mono genre game? <laughs> well, Mario 64 is kind of like the original 3D 
platformer you know yeah. like in the way you that can't get away from the influence you can't get away from it and also having that little bit of open world to it really makes mm-hmm. that game feel evergreen and super influential yeah true um, well and so the other company i, I mentioned was insomniac uh mm-hmm. so insomniac created spyro which is basically sony's answer to mario 64 right uh yeah, and collect a thons yes and the Spyro series, you know, I think it had three on the original PlayStation. Yeah. Um, and then kind of similar situation where they started a new series for the PS2, which was Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> um, and this was similarly, you know, started out as kind of just an upgrade on the 3D platformer, eventually got more and more elements added to it until it started to resemble something more modern. Uh, Furry like- Grand Theft Auto furry theft auto yes uh <laughs> grand, grand theft uh raccoon or whatever the fuck he's supposed to be um and then in the later uh i guess this is much later i guess more recently um insomniac worked on two games that are really similar and both fall squarely in this genre first was sunset overdrive and mm-hmm. the second was spider-man on the ps4 well sunset overdrive kind of had its own gimmicks because you would like grind across things like jet set radio or something and while shooting things at the same time yeah so you know well, they can all have their own little gimmicks i think but the 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 mechanics stay so similar exactly well and that's like well, once again we'll talk about when we talk about the the things these games share but spider-man i'm playing that right now and it feels so much that way like Mm. everything you do in the game is so cut and dry like it's so just a a checklist item on a design document sure but it's all tied together by the fact that you can swing around like spider-man uh and it's (laughs) incredible and the fact that the combat is also meant to emulate being spider-man and it does like a really really good job so when you get into like a like a normal length fight, it feels really great. When you swing around the city, it feels really great. So you sort of forgive it for being kind of hacky <laughs> for that reason. And same with Sunset Overdrive. I haven't played, but that seemed to be the vibe where it's like, it's just one of these games except plus Jet Set Radio, which sounds fucking great, you know? Yeah, it's like um, super colorful, corny, like zombie monster movie kind of stuff with a protagonist with two you know yeah and a cast of wacky characters oh absolutely and yeah. you shoot everything constantly yeah exactly sounds great um so you know i think that for me looking at this genre it definitely evolved out of the ps2 era uh well okay so there's a game that we keep mentioning that but we're dancing around it grand theft auto 3 well what i was gonna say <laughs> is that uh when we're looking at how these types of 3D action adventure games evolved throughout the PS2 era, it's easy to mm-hmm. look at companies like Naughty Dog and Insomniac and be like, oh, they did this and this. But yeah, you have to acknowledge that the most popular game on the PS2 was Grand Theft Auto 3 or Grand Theft Auto Vice City, right? Or um, San Andreas. Yeah. Or San Andreas. Like, those were the most popular games on the PS2. And all of these developers who were making like third person action adventure games all just like totally lost their minds sure. over Grand Theft Auto and started immediately trying to cram it into whatever game they were making. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we have had a lot of mediocre open world games since then. 
Well, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but it's like at the time, open world games were so novel and mm-hmm. some of them became so popular that it's easy to see why they became so influential. Like another one, uh, Morrowind, right? The Elder Scrolls sure. Morrowind. Uh, when that game came out was just like totally blowing people's minds, like just annihilating people's brains. Cause they were like, whoa, 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 you can just walk around and the world is huge. And like, what the hell? Um, and so you can see how that became like such an important part of game design, especially of 3d action adventure games, because it went from being that like Ocarina of time was the bar for how huge and epic a game could be to like, mm-hmm something like Morrowind was, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um so another game that we did mention briefly but we do need to talk more about is Assassin's Creed. Uh <laughs> so once again, I think that we can point to all these influences and things that, you know, helped establish this genre, but in terms of like popularizing it, Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed is a huge fucking deal. Have you have you played any of these games? Yes, I played the first Assassin's Creed a lot and then I played the second one a little. Uh, okay. I don't like these games. <laughs> there, there was one based in England, and I played it for maybe like 30 minutes. Yeah. So these games are kind of like... They're sort of like a good example of how craven this genre can be. Because like these games really just rely on you wanting to like run around and parkour in like a new place you haven't been yet. <laughs> uh, there isn't much to them beyond that. They're just crammed full of like meaningless content really. Mm-hmm. And okay. So I haven't played a lot of these games, so I'm not the expert and people say that they're better now and that they're like good now. But for many years they were pumping these games out and like the combat and movement felt like shit. And the worlds felt like super pointless because they were just crammed full of like dots for you to investigate, but like mm-hmm. nothing happened, you know? Um, but the first Assassin's Creed felt huge at the time, like mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, because like the game was just open world. You could run around, you could scale these huge towers and like look out over a city. And like it really was mind blowing. And the reason I played it so much was because that time I got pneumonia and I was stuck inside in the winter, like. There was a, a 360 there with Assassin's Creed, and so I just played the shit out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, like, at the time, it felt really, really revolutionary to see this, like, meld of genres and this blend of genres. And it has proven to be hugely influential. Mm. Like, I don't know. I don't think this genre or any of these games would exist in the way that they do now if Assassin's Creed wasn't so popular. Even Breath of the Wild? Dude, yes, absolutely Breath of the Wild. I mean, the first time you boot up Breath of the Wild and they make you climb a tower, if you've played Assassin's Creed, you're like, okay. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's talk, well, that's a good segue into talking about some of the ideas, big and small, that these games share, right? Sure, yeah. So big picture ideas. Uh, one is being open world or at least giving you the illusion of a big world for you to explore. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right? 
So like most of these games are open world games, full stop. But even stuff like The Last of Us or some or games like The Evil Within, um, they're not really open world, but they love giving you these big vistas to look out over or these like huge arenas to feel like you're gonna go mm-hmm. conquer. You know, it's yeah. a big yeah. And once again, that's like that that influence from Grand Theft Auto and Morrowind. Um, and it's kind of like the magic of these games. They give you the feeling of embarking on a huge adventure without having to play a 100-hour RPG. Right? Sure, yeah. Because um, most of these games are, are significantly shorter than the average like RPG. Like Yeah, well, some of these do tend to get padded. Like, the Assassin's Creed and uh, Far Cry games are like well-known for being just padded with dots, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um... Uh, generally like the main game is like less than 30 hours but if you want to do everything it's like 60 hours yeah i mean yeah they're games that you can play forever but if you just want to get the base experience it's surprisingly uh like bite-sized you know it's mm-hmm. like once again compared to what we traditionally looked at for providing a player with a massive adventure which would have been a jrpg right right like yeah. 100 hours half of it looking at menus I don't know, you know? <laughs> but so the open world thing is big. Uh, second thing, they're action-based. So oh, yeah. there's combat. There's action. Mm-hmm. There's usually guns. <laughs> Cover-based shooting. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a big one, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, you're going to be killing dudes in many different ways. And you're going to be spending a lot of your time figuring out how best and most efficiently to kill dudes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a third thing, uh, and this once again kind of plays into these being like a substitute for RPGs, for example, and why I'm not surprised that Final Fantasy VII Remake went this route instead of being traditional, mm-hmm. is that these mm-hmm. games all have stats and RPG elements. Skill trees, something like that. Yes. Unlocks. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think if you look at the older ones of these games, they tried to kind of hide it behind things like skill trees and, and unlocks and stuff. But the more recent ones, like they're just straight up like, you are now level 26. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. here is your combat rating. You know, it's like they're very into that, which I think is cool. I mean, it kind of harks sure, back yeah. to like the 90s thing of like playing Symphony of the Night and being like, holy shit, <laughs> I can level well, up. That's cool. And these mono genre games do tend to like push and pull on these genres, uh, depending on what they are, right? Like something like The Witcher Three or Yakuza will be much more RPG like, but still have all these other things too. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, they're very because these games are also similar, and so many of the mechanics are so similar they really rely on like the setting and the aesthetic to decide what they're going to highlight. And mm-hmm. I do think that the best of these games uh, aren't as overstuffed as the average mono genre games. I think like once, you know, I hope you're starting to see that these games have a <laughs> lot going on and they can feel yeah. like so overstuffed sometimes, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's on a player by player basis though, because like, some of these games you just absolutely fall in love with and you don't want them to end. So you want right. to just like nibble on the bone. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because something well, like Yakuza, like a lot of people do like 
every single mission, and then they do all like the side games with like the real estate mini games and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, well, that's a, I guess that's another quality of it too is that there's like a bunch of optional stuff to do in all of these games. Oh yeah, yeah. totally, and we'll we'll get to that uh, in the in the little the little similarities category, but. Mm-hmm. The last thing I wrote down for the sort of big overarching thematic similarity you see between all these games is that they're dark and cinematic. Mm -hmm. Um, In the Last of Us episode, I compared it to Prestige TV. Sure. uh, In the way that all those shows are kind of like dark and gritty and cinematic. I think these games are too. Even the ones that have the most cartoonish presentation or aesthetic games like spider-man or breath of the wild still get into some really dark shit and (laughs) generally have like a pretty grim setting i mean with breath of the wild you're in the post-apocalypse and uh in spider-man like halfway through it gets like super dark (laughs) and it's like whoa that was a twist you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i feel like all these games kind of share that and the last of us obviously being really important to the genre and showing how you could use it as an effective vehicle for storytelling in that way you know totally yeah um so when you get into some of the smaller things uh i made a list of stuff that you see in all these games but that are smaller and weirder and kind of bewildering like why (laughs) do all of these games have all of this shit uh and it, it's it's just kind of funny to me i guess uh mm. first one stealth <laughs> if it's not full-blown stealth there will at least be a stealth mini game in it well and that's kind of the problem with these games is that the stealth <laughs> is usually kind of shitty yeah uh, unless it's like part of the main mechanics right and especially if you've played something like hitman you're just like right are you kidding me this is so <laughs> shitty uh but you're gonna stealth they all have stealth mm-hmm. um and i think that's also partially the influence of uh immersive sims we talked about that in our prey totally. episode and i think that these games are super influenced by immersive sims if so. prey was in third person it'd be a mono genre game 100 percent, 200 percent. it would um yeah so another thing you see skill trees mm-hmm. uh they all have skill trees and they all kind of look like the final fantasy 10 like sort of wacky stylized skill tree so <laughs> i don't know if that was the influence or what mm-hmm. um but they got them uh another one horses they all have horses <laughs> no they all have epona they Get have- straight dude <laughs> yes okay agree they all have eponas plural <laughs> <laughs> and no, it's just one horse. It's all Epona. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it. It's like, is it easier to program like a good feeling horse than a good feeling car? Is that what it is? Mm. Or like what? I, don't I would get say it. horse is probably harder. Right? I don't know. I don't get it. No. It's weird. <laughs> uh, okay. Another one. Towers. You're always climbing towers and looking out from a vantage point. Uh, <laughs> even like The Last of Us doesn't have towers, but it has like vantage points you have to get up to. obviously breath of the wild has like towers galore and assassin's creed was like is like daddy tower there's just towers everywhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah towers you're gonna climb a tower or 20 throughout the game uh okay another one filling out a map uh (laughs) big part of these games is going to the top of a tower so you can unlock that 
region on your map. Yeah. Uh, it's so ubiquitous that for a while, some journalists were calling these map games, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, I definitely saw that, and I thought that was kind of funny. But um, another thing is crafting. Oh yeah, can't can't not have crafting now. Yeah. Ugh, what a cancer. What a sadness. <laughs> Such a sadness. Yeah, so you're going to be collecting junk and turning it into other junk. I feel like this is the Bethesda influence, right? Like we talked yeah. about that in the Prey episode. How unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it if it's done well, but a lot of times it's not, and it's just a time waster. I mean, I guess it was okay in Last of Us. Uh, I don't remember enjoying it in Evil Within. Uh, I hated it in Breath of the Wild. Like, the whole item system in Breath of the Wild just makes me angry thinking about it. Yeah. Like, why is the Master Sword breaking? Get the <laughs> hell out of here. Um, yeah, yeah I, can, I can rock with that. I'm not um, a huge crafting fan, unless it's like... Like, games like Subnautica? No, I don't. I don't want to do it. No. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. I kind of feel like it's partially due to the popularity of stuff like Minecraft. Yep. Like Minecraft, and, No Man's Sky. Yeah, so it's survival games. Yeah, it's definitely not for people like us. Like, just meeting people who aren't into those games. Like, it just seems weird. Kind of sticks out like a sore thumb to me in most of these games. But sure, yeah. they all have it, so I've given up. Well, um, if you're gonna do that, at least do cooking too. You know. Yeah. I would have liked to seen like Joel and Ellie put on aprons and like make popcorn together or something. Oh, maybe in the sequel. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, so another one I'm going to kind of lump two together here is collectibles and side quests. Mm, uh, okay. So these games give you lots of little dots on your map that you can go and either find a collectible or complete a side quest to get a collectible. Sure. And it's funny because especially playing Spider-Man, you definitely see like, oh yeah, like the people who made Spyro the Dragon made this game. Because like <laughs> it's fundamentally the same idea, which is like shiny thing, you want it. Mm-hmm. Firefly pendant for no yeah. reason at all. Yeah. And so this was you know, you were kind of talking about this earlier, like with Yakuza. I think that the best games in this genre manage to prioritize the important pointless collectibles and then sort of like push the other pointless collectibles to the background sure and they kind of like direct you to like hey if you're a completionist this is for you like the firefly pendants right are totally that Mm -hmm. way but then there's other stuff where it's like i mean hunting for ammo that's a collectible but you need that right or like right i think so breath of the wild is like my pick for the best in this whole genre like by a lot and I think it's partially because it has those priorities pretty well set. So it's mm. like, you kind of know going into something that like, this is something I should do because there's a good story beat. Or this is something I should do because I'll get an item or something that I need. And there's other stuff where it's like, I don't need this. I just want to do it. You know? Korok seeds. Korok seeds, right? Like, <laughs> after you have enough... Uh, item slots you don't need to get more coroxies like you can just be done with it if you aren't a completionist right sure and i think like that game the priorities are set really well uh spider-man is super guilty of doing this poorly because in that game you need literally all of the collectibles almost all of the collectibles just to make basic like 
to upgrade your suit and to get new powers and shit like that. Mm. And so it's just really frustrating because not all the challenges are fun or interesting. And some of them are really fucking boring. So you're just kind of stuck, like either ignoring upgrades that you kind of want or doing really boring shit you don't want to do. And it's because the game just decided to like diarrhea collectibles and upgrades like all over you. And it's like, you need all of them, every single one of them. And that's like kind of a bummer. It, it basically made me get about 30 to 40% through the game, main story of the game and be like, okay, I'm done with all the side quests. Really? Yeah. 30%. Yeah. So not good. But then you're like, you're saying with Yakuza, it's like, you just want to keep exploring forever. Yeah, and like the amount of content in Yakuza is just like so insane. Like Yakuza Zero could like really, honestly, keep somebody entertained for like six months if you want yeah. to do everything. Right. Well, I think that's a big point in these games, and it's like a, a criticism they get a lot is that some of them are just stuffed with nothing. You know, mm. like they're like the potato chip bag that looks huge, and you open it up, and it's like half full. Because like all the extra content is sort of pointless. The more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to think that maybe like a lot of these monogenre games would be like put into two categories, you know, like the open world ones and then like the heavier story based ones. But then they still have so many similarities. You know? Yeah. Well, totally. And I think that for me, I've said before, I don't really like open world games generally. Um, they just feel like work. Like they're you're mm-hmm. just getting like it just feels like someone's texting you constantly telling you to work, you know, like <laughs> like once again, the, the nice thing about Spider-Man that I'm playing right now is that you can turn off a lot of shit and you can just make it so the game sort of like leaves you the fuck alone. Yeah. Uh, but at heart, it really wants to just keep telling you, like, go do challenges, go find backpacks, mm-hmm. like get all the tokens. And it's just like, why? I'd rather just have a game that's focused and like gives me a path. And that's why I like Breath of the Wild so much. I mean, obviously, I like the Evil Within games because they're a lot more linear. I like The Last of Us because it's a lot more linear. But I liked Breath of the Wild because it's like if you wanted to just do the story, you kind of always knew where you needed to go. And also, it puts the brakes on things. You know, it's yeah. not so like ADHD. Uh huh. You know, the pacing of is of it is so different. Yeah. Well, totally, and like. That's pacing and flow are really big in these games. Um, I think that the ones with good pacing and good flow really trump the ones without just because you can get such a good rhythm going. Like, okay, the reason I think that these games have become so popular and that they've become the the current normal like default game Mm -hmm. is that they just have such a good loop. Like, they're so addictive, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you just want to keep playing them forever. And the ones that have a good flow, like breath of the wild, keep you moving, but at an even pace. So like you're doing things and completing challenges and accomplishing things, but you're moving at a nice clip. Right. And I think that the bad ones, it's either like you're going a hundred miles an hour or you just slam into a wall. (laughs) Those are Mm -hmm. the two speeds, you know, I mean, it's, it's dangerous too, because you could like, uh, look up at the clock and notice that it's been 14 hours and you haven't blinked in seven of those hours. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, once again, <laughs> I like, obviously I'm just kind of like going through some shit, <laughs> but like 
that when I first got a PS4 and started like playing The Last of Us or playing Spider-Man, like the first day I played those games, I was like, holy shit, I just played for like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck? No, they're, they're, it's like McDonald's, dude. That shit is like scientifically formulated to keep you hooked. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because like if these games are done well enough, you just keep like feeding you and feeding you yep. and feeding you to quote uh the method man um but like you like look outside and just go Ugh, and go back to your high rule <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like it's crazy but i also feel too that like there's a lot of game designer catnip in here like <laughs> all the influences that we kind of listed earlier, like, you know, immersive Sims and like Morrowind and all stuff. Like you can see why people who are now like in the games industry love that shit. Yeah. And I do appreciate this genre for making like a less work intensive, uh, you know, simulacra or like simulacrum of, uh, something like Morrowind. Like, yeah, you can sit down and they all can't be that fucking nerdy, you know? Yes. And they all can't be that hard and work intensive and time mm-hmm. intensive and like I don't know it's it, once it's again, like Mario 64 meets Morrowind like yeah. is the magic formula meets a um, popcorn movie yeah exactly yeah. exactly and and they're just really like watchable and, and playable and easy mm-hmm. to enjoy like we said in the last of us episode but I also get why like so many of these games are bullshit you know cause like they're just so like overstuffed and they just don't yeah. have much going on. We, one thing we didn't talk about is that um, all of the the controls are the same. And actually, when they're not the same, it pisses me off. Oh, yeah. Like, we know what the two sticks are going to do in every game after the PS2. Square is going to be punch. X is going to be jump. And if it's not, I'm pissed. You know? Yeah. No, for sure. I even yeah. kind of had to get used to it with all these PS4 games where they have like triangle as like the secondary interact. There's like X and triangle are both like different kinds of interact. Oh yeah, Last of Us has triangle as interact, which is weird. Yeah, Spider-Man does too. Something else I tried just a minute of on PS4 also did. But yeah, you're totally... Well, we've said it in the episode. Like I pressed R1 for Witcher Vision and yeah. I had fucking Witcher Vision. But... In Spider-Man, it's R3, and it is it is definitely fucking me up, because mm. I'll try and Witcher Vision with R1 and accidentally like shoot a web at a guy. So running is almost always L1 or L3. I kind of prefer L3. Oh, I running. hate I hate stick clicking for running. Oh, oh, really? I hate it so much. When I was helping my nephew play uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake, I like switched his controls, because I was like, no, it's L2. <laughs> or it's R2, yeah. Oh, yeah. R2 is run? I think in the in the alternate control. Mm. But no, you know, actually what's funny when you bring it up, I think run is really the only thing that these games don't agree on. Like yeah. a lot of them actually have a different button for run. I like a run toggle. Like that's why L3 works. Because I, I just hate, click it once yeah. and it toggles on. I hate pushing the stick. It's disgusting to me. I couldn't. <laughs> it's just a tactile thing. I hate yeah. it. And I couldn't totally tell you why. It, well, it makes my teeth hurt. I do have a prejudice against holding L1 because both of my Xbox One controllers are fucked up because I held L1 too much on Hitman for running. <laughs> and it like ruined both of those controllers. Oh, man. Have you taken them apart and cleaned them? 
No, uh, apparently it's a known issue, and it's like the little hook that it goes on. It's like a little shitty piece of plastic. So oh. you actually have to like replace the L1 plastic. Oh, uh, sure. Or LB. Well, yeah, no one's calling it that. Fuck that. I hate that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I do hate the little things companies try and do to make their controller unique. Like the Switch mm-hmm. having the A button be where Circle is. <laughs> or yeah. like... Yeah, the RBLB. Like, get the fuck out of here. No one's no, calling it that, dude. You know what really bothers me is that they don't call it the select button anymore. Oh, yeah. It's like, motherfuckers, it's select. Oh, yeah, and why does the DualShock 4 have three of those? Why does it have share really? option and big dumb plastic? The PlayStation button, you mean? <laughs> no. Oh, the, you're talking the, about the trackpad thing? Fuck that thing. This Who wanted thing. a mouse on their fucking DualShock 4? Does any game use it for that, actually? Mm-mm. My Windows yeah. desktop can use it, but it's oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's like so, the one like sociopath at Sony is like this guy who's like, I love those little nubs that used to be on laptops. What happened to those? Let me put one <laughs> on the next DualShock. And uh, the DualShock 4 is gyro, which like no game uses. Oh, yeah. I feel like Splatoon was the only game ballsy enough to do, like, gyro aim as default. And that shit worked great. Uh, Yeah, I used it a little bit, and some of the puzzles in Breath of the Wild are a lot easier with it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's, you know, that's a given. Well, that's that's a Nintendo thing, but, yeah. Yeah. I meant, I meant specifically for, like, shooters. Yeah, you know? but you can you can use it to aim too, like with the bow and arrow and stuff. Oh, that's true, right? Yeah. yeah, but no, I've never played a shooter that did the whole thing that way. Yeah, I played a few shooters on the Wii with the old Wii remote. Mm-hmm. That was uh, well. I set up Doom 2016 on my PC to use gyro with a controller, and that shit was dank, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can be cool if done right. I've never played a whole game that way though. If you want an SP- FPS with a controller. I highly recommend it. That's cool. Because controller aiming still sucks with FPS. Oh, yeah. You need that, you need that Mise. Uh, I like auto aim, aim assist. Give me that. <laughs> That's what and I'm all about. The Last of Us, man. It, it, it's like a, a ghost arm comes out and grabs Ellie's rifle and like points it at the guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't even have to aim. I love it, dude. I love it so much. Uh, when Monica started playing Red Dead, she was like having a really hard time with the aiming and then I tried it too and I was like this is impossible like it's like impossible oh, really? to aim but then I went into the options and like crank because there's an aim assist option but then there's also like <laughs> how wide there's like a wide or narrow option for it so mm-hmm. it can either be like when you're getting really close to the guy it locks on or like basically it just locks on no matter what and I changed it to that and it was like amazing it was so fun it was just like immediately <laughs> you pop out of cover and you're just like locked on to the dude great generally when i play hitman i'll play it with all controller until i need to shoot and then i'll grab the mouse to shoot oh interesting i, tr- I tried doing a thing to where i uh, i could play the game with my left hand with the controller and then right hand with the mouse <laughs> but it does it, it it does like this thing where it like it knows you're using the mouse so it like disables some stuff on the controller yeah yeah fucking annoying that shit would be perfect though <laughs> that's just like such a good marker of how much hitman you've played that you like went yeah. insane and started trying these wacky controller <laughs> configs i love it dude. yeah 
I could have had a master's degree by now, but I played <laughs> Hitman for 700 hours instead. You could have had a master's degree in Hitman. Fuck yeah. I, <laughs> I have one. No. Yeah. yeah, I retract my statement. You do have a master's degree in Hitman. I just printed it out from Reddit. <laughs> Someone on Reddit will do that for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I mean... I, I think these games, these mono genre games, they're easy to rag on, but ultimately, like, they're actually really fun. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, um, I think that's just kind of going to be the way it is, like, just the way that, like, 2D platformers were in the 90s. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's going to be around a person you control in 3D, you know, and the standard's already been set. Why reinvent the wheel? And, uh people like big cool environments so yeah 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 totally just like you know i would like to see more games that have you know attention to detail like breath of the wild and or just like a good gimmick like you know spider-man swinging around sure you gotta have that otherwise it is just like (laughs) it's just crackdown (laughs) (laughs) crackdown three Oh, that game sucks. <laughs> well, I haven't played Crackdown 3, but Crackdown was just like... Sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's just like... Uh, I don't know. I just know, I, I just imagine like a kid in the Midwest, like in a trailer, playing Crackdown in his like Mountain Dew shirt. <laughs> listening to Kobe Teeth. <laughs> nah, dude, listen to Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Uncle Cracker and Kobe Teeth. Dude, he's Uncle Crackdown. 